Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. And I want to try to cover two gates this morning. And Lord helping us. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 15. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Kolhoza, the ruler of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Silo by the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. And if you would look over to um, verse 26, Moreover, the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel unto the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of being in your house. We thank you, Lord, for everything that's been established thus far. We thank you for Sunday school. We thank you for the uh, song service, Lord, uh, how we can express ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for the offering. We thank you, Lord, that we can set this day aside for Allison, Lord, that she uh, moves on with, with a career. We pray that God, you'd Help us as we deliver your word this morning. Be everything, Lord, that I need you to be, Lord, so that each and every one here, Lord, can be refreshed and be challenged, Lord, with something new in their life. And Lord, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. The Fountain Gate. Once again, I'm just going to give you a brief review because I, I don't want you to Forget, you know, repetition is something that, that really is a part of learning. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah take us back to a wonderful time of spiritual revival. When a remnant of the people of God returned from Babylonian captivity to the land which God had promised to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and once again, let me just say this, you know, that it was a remnant. It wasn't the whole multitude. It was just a, a remnant. It always seems to have been the theme of Scripture. As we recall, this task of rebuilding the wall and the gates only took the Nehemiah and his men 52 days. These gates give, give us an overview as to what we experience as Christians. Actually, and and let me just say that, you know, as we've been trying to elaborate on different experiences in, in our lives as Christians, you know, trying to uh, uh, understand the whole, th this whole concept of the city and the walls and everything and bringing that into a typology of our Christian experience is, is something that... Um, that I was pondering and, and thought I'd just mention it to you here this morning. But, you know, what was inside these walls represents our lives as well. The most treasured piece of real estate was the Jewish temple behind 
those walls. Paul said once again in 1 Corinthians 3, 15 and 16, know ye not that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, he, he shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And so once again, we can see without stretching scripture that, that this is a good replica of what our lives uh, are all about. We have within us the, the, the presence of God. And, and that temple has always, always been one of the most coveted places on the planet for thousands of years, even unto this very day. What, ne what Nehemiah discovered was this, this city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed along with everything that protected it. And once again, it's a good typology of the human life. Man was made in the image of God, but because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, it didn't take mankind long to deteriorate. When mankind is left to himself and to his own devices, to his own thoughts, things just seemingly really go downward, spiral downward, and they spiral downward fast. You know, man, as we have learned, can become so evil. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, we can see the evilness of mankind in our, just about every day in our, in our living. Unregenerated man is like the city and its walls and gates have been taken over by evil. And so man is basically just uh, helpless in, a, in an unregenerated state, in an unsaved state. Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the walls and gates in every detail are symbolic of an individual's need to rebuild. You and I, in our Christian life, there's so much more than just coming to the altar and giving your life to Christ. That's the beginning uh, of, of a new life. But as you continue on in this new life, there's challenges and things that you have to deal with in your life to become more and more like Jesus Christ. We first off uh, opened up with the sheep gate, which speaks of accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but it emphasizes the fact that as sheep, we need to be under the uh, protection or the care of a shepherd. Amen. Uh, number two, the fish gate. After salvation, we become witnesses for Christ. When we witness for Christ, then we become fruit-bearing. And let me just insert this. A lot of times we think fruit-bearing is, is having um, results or uh, something more tangible like somebody getting saved. And, and that's all important. It really is. But fruit-bearing is you just living your life also as a Christian. That is a testimony, a light within itself. Thirdly, the old gate speaks of that which is past, yet solid and foundational. So many people, especially today, don't, they're trying to get rid of our history. They're trying to get rid of so many things that make us what we are today. And we don't want to go down that road. We want to cling to the old paths, those foundational truths, because that's what we stand on today. And then we talked about the valley gate, which emptied into the valley of Hinnon. And this is where basically we live and you know we have horrible experiences in life uh, and and possibly you know there are those in here that have had no terrible experiences but just about everyone in here could say that you've seen them though or you've heard about them 
you know, the valley is where we live. The mountaintop experiences are very few, far, and in between. They're the exception to the rule because we live in the valley. And then the last uh, gate that we covered was the dung gate. And this is a type of sin that clings to our lives from our experiences in the valley. It represents our need for constant cleansing. And we talked about sanctification, being progressive. Every day we try to change something in our lives. And as you grow older in Christ, when you think you have it all figured out, something will be preached or something will be taught that will challenge you that I need to change a little bit. Amen. That's what sanctification is all about. All these gates represent experiences that we have to deal with in life to protect that sacred place where God resides in you. If you're a Christian, now you listen to me this morning. If you are a Christian, God lives in you. Don't ever forget that. God lives in you. So let's look at the fountain gate here this morning. The fountain gate is put before the water gate, and one cannot have a fountain without water. Thus, this gate speaks of the moving of the Spirit of God in a person's life. The Holy Spirit desires to reveal himself to you and to me as we, we uh, articulated this, this morning in Sunday school. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. Amen. The Gihon Springs fed the pool of Silo near the King's Garden, as we read in our, in our uh, text, called the Fountain Gate, because it was often used by the people for cleaning before proceeding on to the temple. Uh, they had to go through this gate, and if they were headed towards the temple, they would wash in that pool of Siloam there, uh, there at the water gate, and then they could go in, and because they'd been cleansed and 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 purified, and, and so therefore they felt that they met the requirements to, that uh, by, given by God that they could go to the temple. In 2 Kings 20, 20, the, the, I didn't write it down, but the Bible says this was something that Hezekiah built. He built uh, an aqueduct, that, that, uh, and it was rather lengthy, that went from Gion Springs to this pool of Siloam here. Uh, so that the people could uh, wash themselves for uh, uh, these temple services. You will notice, um, and, and I know you don't have your diagrams anymore, maybe some of you do, that in, in your diagram uh, that we passed out in, in, the, in the very beginning, that the fountain gate is, is located ex extremely close to the dun gate. In other words, after a valley-type experience where rubbish in our lives is cleared out through the dung gate, true faith comes forth and the fountains begin to flow quickly. When you start getting the rubbish out of your life, and, 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 and I'm not picking on you, when after I got saved, you know, my, my, my journey, and I don't like to really use that term journey, but my, my new life in Christ, my, my testimony is what I like is that uh, as I continued on in my relationship with Christ, from day one, he began to speak to me and tell me about things that I had to get out of my life that were not, they, they were not profitable 
it was rubbish, it was garbage, and I needed to get rid of those things, bad habits and, and mannerisms, and, and the list goes on and on. But as, as we get rid of those things in our life, then, then the, 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 the cleanness that we experience, amen, through the Holy Spirit, you know, connected with our faith and so on, it, it, that life goes rather quickly, amen, you begin to grow in the Lord. Uh, this speaks to us of, of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that cleanse our lives and empowers us as we move forward in our Christian life. And let, let, let me just say this also, and, and I believe this with all of my heart because that's exactly what we identify as, but the, the Spirit reveals Himself to you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was here at the Pool of Siloam where Jesus cried out in John 7, uh, 38. Uh, he, he cried out and he said, and this was at the, at the feast. Uh, Jesus, he, he cried out and he said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they had, not, which they had that believed on him, had, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus had not been yet glorified. It was here at the Pool of Siloam where Jesus took a little spittle, and he put it in the clay, and he picked up that, that, that uh, uh, messy, uh, medicinal-type uh, moisture and clay, spittle and clay, I guess is what the Bible calls it, and he rubbed it on the blind man's eyes. And the blind man, Jesus told him to go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And as he washed, he, his eyes uh, were opened and he began to see. Uh, that, what a beautiful story. You know, l let me just insert this. I was telling the family last night at the dinner table, a preacher friend of mine that, that grew up in a church out east, yesterday I heard him giving a testimony that was just so beautiful. It just... It was awesome. It's just something that we don't hear much uh, anymore. But he was talking about his pastor. Uh, his pastor, uh, early in his life, they had a son, and the son was born without a hip. And, uh, and it's just the way he was, he was born. And as the, the little guy grew, and you know they, they didn't take him in for surgeries or anything like that or for anything artificial, they just carried him around, but they prayed intently uh, for their son. And one day, the, the, the father and the mother, which was the pastor, they, they were praying for their son with no hip, and uh, he quit about midnight because he had to work the next day. But when he went to bed, he left his wife praying, and when he woke up in the morning, his wife was in that very exact position, still praying for their son. He went off to work, and as he was working, the Lord gave him a vision and said, your son is home running. And so, <laughs> yeah, really. He threw all of his tools back in his toolbox, and he drove back to his house, and who ran out to meet him? It was his son. Amen. God had began to develop that hip back in that little boy. Now, this is a man that's talking about his pastor's experience. And over the course of time, that hip fully developed into a normal 
help. Amen. And the boy had no no paralysis whatsoever. Isn't that a beautiful story? Amen. God does heal. He heals today. Amen. I so appreciated hearing that as he was trying to encourage someone else. But this is the place where Jesus told that man that was blind to wash. Amen. And let me say that the baptism in the Holy Ghost is so essential for uh, sustained growth and progress in our in our walk with Christ. It, it is, and, and yes, that does include the speaking in tongues, but always bear in mind that God has recorded about 17 reasons why He desires you to speak in tongues. Speak and praying in the Spirit is a biblical doctrine, as we was talking about this morning, and we have a dogma to substantiate that and a theology that creates it. Amen. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is so real. Praise the Lord. If you recall in in chapter 2 and verse 14, it was at this gate that Nehemiah could not pass through because of the rubbish. He halted his investigation of the walls uh, and and the gates at the dung gate. What a place to stop when you're trying to uh, look and analyze all the damage that has been done by the invasion and the years of being laid dormant. He's left at the dung gate. He couldn't make it to the fountain gate. And, you know, once again, as we, as we look into this, that means that in the natural, the fountain gate must have been the center of, of a concerted attack during the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonian army in 2 Kings 25 and verse 4. And the Bible says, and the city was broken up. And the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which is by the king's garden. And if you remember reading in our text here this morning, it said the fountain gate by the king's garden. So it was a, you, you, you cut off a person's water source, amen, and, and you've done a lot of damage. You've, you've pretty much got a hold of them. It's the same in the spiritual realm when you cut off a person's flow uh, of the Holy Ghost. When we cut off, allow the, the Holy Ghost to be cut off from our lives, folks, things can really turn bad. Amen. Satan is always trying to uh, attack that aspect of our life inside Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God moving in our lives. The fountain gate is definitely one that Satan doesn't want functioning in our lives. After the trials that reveal the garbage in our hearts, God brings us to the fountain gate. He fills us up with the Holy Ghost so that we are empowered to live as Christ would have us to live. Amen. If people could just understand that. But I feel that so many times people, they just look at it afar off and they don't understand it and they just don't want anything to do with it. Amen. Uh, the German philosopher, his name was Nietzsche. You've probably heard of Nietzsche. But he said, quote, If the Christians expect me to believe in their Redeemer, then they've got to look more like they've been redeemed. End of quote. And you see, that's the, the problem that we have today. There's so many people that profess to, to be a Christian, but they have not the Spirit of God moving in their life. They bear no fruit. They, 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 they don't act like a Christian. They don't act like they've been uh, uh, saved, amen, by the power of Jesus Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent 
experience after salvation. Amen. It, it, it is. It, it has nothing to do with you being saved. When you get saved, you receive the Spirit of God in a measure so that you know that you're saved. Amen. But I'm talking about something that's subsequent, an experience that, 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 that comes after our salvation. Amen. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rubbish in the church today um, under the guise of Pentecost. I know we're Pentecostal here, and I am so uh, proud of it. Amen. I, I really am. In my years of ministries, I've seen a lot of dumb stuff go on in Pentecostal churches, amen, or in the, you know, under the guise of Pentecost. I've, I've seen it, and, and they wear that label that it were Pentecostal. And so we get stereotyped with all the bad. And, but, you know, that's, that's just the way that it is. You, 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 you know, people are notorious for doing that. Uh, making us fit into something that we're, we're, we're really not. Amen. You know, and some of these people may have a spirit, but let me tell you something, it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen. They may have a spirit, but it's not the, the same spirit that I have. Amen. There's a, a Pentecostal apostolic church. You know, they, they believe that you can't get to heaven without speaking in tongues. <laughs> you know, that's heresy. It's heresy. I mean, that's cultish. I mean, that's pretty stern, but, but th that's not what the Bible teaches. The, the, the prerequisite for you and me getting into heaven is giving our life to Jesus Christ, amen, and accepting his, his sacrifice into our life, confessing our sin, amen. When we do that, the Bible says we're saved, praise God. That's your ticket, amen. That's your ticket, praise God. Hallelujah. Once again, that's why we, we work in theology and doctrine. Amen. Because we, we want a scriptural basis for oh, why we believe what we believe. Never for, forget this fact. There is a real, there is a genuine, there is a pure Holy Spirit infilling. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman and he will never cause you to do something against your will, nor will he cause you to do anything that will contradict the word of God. It'll never happen. If it does, then you have something different. So the fountain gate is very, very important. It's, it's all about your life in the spirit. So let's move secondly to the water gate here for just a moment. Um, you know, the Watergate speaks of the Word of God that is used in our lives. When you give your life to Christ, He comes and He resides in you through His Spirit, as we said. Now, I'm not talking about the baptism. I'm just saying that's what happens when you get saved. The Spirit of God comes and lives in you. But when you're saved, now listen to me. This is going to this is going to this is going to get you a little bit, or maybe a lot. But when you get saved, you should have an appetite for the Word of God. Thank you. The Spirit of God and the Word of God go hand in hand. In, we read this this morning in John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
It's talking about Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you go down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of only of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Once again, talking of Jesus Christ. He's the Word incarnate. He's the Word that's made flesh. Amen. And so the Spirit and the Word, they go hand in hand. Amen. Jesus is the living Word. As we've mentioned previously, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit aid in cleansing your life from day to day. That's called sanctification. In Ephesians 5.26, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. Amen. When, you know, so many times, you know, folks, and, and, and this is just the way it is when, when you're a preacher. Sometimes I'll preach things that'll make you feel a little squirmy. It just simply happens. Amen. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. I always like to put it this way. It shows possession. When you feel conviction, Amen. When you feel the, the Spirit of God challenge you, you to not do maybe what you've been doing, you see, that's, that's uh, conviction. Amen. In your life, the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to change your life and become uh, uh, different than uh, today than what you were yesterday. Amen. In Nehemiah 8.1, I think this is, is, is really interesting. In Nehemiah 8.1, the Bible says, let me just turn there. In Nehemiah 8.1, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. That was before the, the water gate. So once again, all the people gathered here at this water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law to Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And so here we see that all the people gathered. And if you read on there in, in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the, the Bible says that he read to them from the word from morning till midday. Now let me just break that down here. When, when I think of morning, I think about 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock is a good time to start your day, isn't it? Maybe some of you disagree with that. <laughs> but for me, it actually starts about five or six. At, you know, but, but, you know, eight o'clock is a, is a good time. That's when you got to be to work, you know, around eight o'clock, you know. But, you know, we could, we could even say between eight and nine, you know, some of you that have banker's hours, you know, let's say eight or nine. But midday is what? Twelve o'clock. And so here you have all these people. You know, this multitude of, of people now in Jerusalem. And they go and they stand there at the water gate and they, they want Ezra, to the, 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 the scribe, to read to them the word of God. And it goes for three, four hours, maybe more, maybe less. But I mean, could you stand there and allow me to read to you for just 30 minutes, an hour, you know, two hours, three hours, and so on? But you see, this was the revival that, that they were going through back in that, in that time because the people seen the devastation that had happened to their city and to, you know, and to the walls and the gates and so on. And they were so excited that everything had been rebuilt. 
maybe that's something that has to happen here in the United States. You never appreciate what you have until you don't have it anymore. So the saying goes. Let me, let me uh, read to you some amazing facts about the Bible. I thought this was real interesting. This is by Paul Chapman. The Bible claims to be written by God Almighty. Almost 2.5 billion people in the world claim the Bible as the holy book of God. That is over one-third of the people on the planet. The first book ever printed on a movable type press was the Bible. More Bibles have been printed than any other book in the history of the world. The Bible is the best-selling book every year, but it, it, is, it is excluded from the best-selling list because it ranks number one year after year after year after year after year, so they don't put it on there anymore. Over 100 million Bibles are printed every year. Over 90%, now, now listen to me, over 90% of Americans own at least one Bible, whether as a gift or a purchase, but only 12% read it daily. Ouch. It is estimated that the average American owns nine Bibles. I probably own more than that. Bible sales earn more than $400 million every year. Over 60,000 people use a certain Bible app at any given moment. I do. Three people every second share some form of, of a biblical quote or verse to their social media outlets. That's cool. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold since 1851. To put this in perspective, the next best-selling book of all time is Don Quixote. I don't want to try to pronounce the book, but his book sold over 500 million copies. The Bible has sold over, um, what did I say, 5 billion. And the next to that is 500 million. Quite a difference. Guinness Book of Records estimates that in the last 2,000 years, over 5 trillion copies of the Bible have been sold. Isn't that awesome? Now let me read this to you as we prepare to close. A Gallup poll that was taken just last month, July 6th of this year, 2022. It makes me want to crawl under the, the pew. A record low, 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. Only 20%. Out of all those Bible facts that I gave you, where the rubber meets the road, only 20% of Americans believe that it is the Word of God. Sad, isn't it? And then we wonder why we are in the condition that we're in. In conclusion here this morning, 
You know, I love my life in Christ. I, I do. I love my, my life in Christ in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad I, I'm Pentecostal. I'm glad I have the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I'm glad I have a prayer language. I'm glad for that. I use it daily. Daily. I love my life in Christ in the fullness of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. I love studying the Word of God. I, I just do. It's, I, I love it. I'm always challenged. You know, I've been, this month, I'll be in this for 40 years, and I still learn new things every time I get into it. The fountain gate and the water gate. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word here this morning. We thank you for the symbolism, Lord, that we see in the book of Nehemiah. All these gates, Lord, have a reflection on our lives as Christians. Lord, it challenges us to see the fountain gate in our own personal lives. Is God's Spirit moving and flowing through my life? We see the water gate, Lord. Is my life constantly being challenged by the Word of God? Am I eager and am I anxious for the Word of God? Or is it just something that becomes a weekly uh, experience by being in church and being preached to? These are things, Lord, that, that should challenge our lives. Lord, I, I believe that we only get out of it what we put into it. I've just always believed in that theory. You get out of it what you put into it. That principle is applied in every facet of our lives, even the spiritual. But Lord, as we conclude here this morning, I pray that you would challenge each of us, Lord, to be more cognizant of your spirit moving in our lives, and so aware of the need for God's Word to be in our lives. For when the Word of God is in our lives, then the Spirit of God has something to get a hold of in our lives, because the two go hand in hand. And Father, for everything that you do, we'll give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.